I think by studying the universe, we really see the, the beauty, the order, the rationality of the universe, uh, things again which, which make science possible, which aren't explainable by science and point to uh, the creator of the universe. Space is often described as the final frontier. And for scientists like Dr. Christopher Shingledecker, the vastness of space holds endless possibilities for discovery. Dr. Shingledecker is an assistant professor of physics and astronomy at Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas. Last spring, Dr. Shingledecker was part of a team that observed, for the very first time, a new kind of molecule in space. So what we discovered were the first specific, what are called polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, or PAHs. Now, I enjoy science, but I'm not a trained scientist myself. And I realize that sometimes the best way to understand a high-level scientific concept is not for me to just simply tell you about it. It's to have a conversation about it. And so I invited CNA Newsroom's executive producer, Kate Oliveira, to kind of stand in for you, the audience member, as I try to explain this high-level scientific concept. So, Kate, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I'm excited to hear all about this. And so I guess just to start out, are you familiar with how radio telescopes work? <laughs> Not at all, Jonah. Not at all. We have to start from square one. <laughs> okay, so just to kind of back up. So a radio telescope basically looks like a giant white satellite dish. The dish part of it can be like the size of a football field. Oh my gosh. So there's radio telescopes all over the world basically hunting for objects emitting radio waves in in the universe. And one of the things that scientists can figure out from the radio waves that they collect is actually what objects are made of. And the molecules that they found were extremely unexpected. So the best way I can describe it is, uh, so imagine you're, you're in the Arctic and you see this igloo and you have a chimney and you see smoke billowing out of the chimney and you go in and you expect to see a big fire. And instead, there's no fire. You just, it's, it's as if the ice itself is emitting smoke. Uh, so that's essentially uh, how bizarre it was that we saw the molecules, these pHs, where we did. It's essentially the last place you would expect to see them. So I, I don't know about you, Kate, but I learned that space is a vacuum and there's just nothing in it whatsoever. Yeah, same here. So this is just wild to me. Yeah, apparently there's all kinds of molecules and dust and, and stuff out there. And actually, it has a really cool name. It's called the interstellar medium. There's one photo in particular called the Pillars of Creation that just literally looks like thick clouds of smoke or dust. Dr. Shingledecker and his team were looking for molecules in this seemingly empty region of space about 450 light years away. We saw them in a region called the Taurus Molecular Cloud 1, or PMC1. The telescope that they used is called the Green Bank Telescope, and it's actually the largest radio telescope in the world that's fully steerable. So it can actually, you know, be steered to a certain area of the sky. It's located in rural West Virginia. One of the things I read about it is it's so sensitive that it could detect the radio waves emitted by a single snowflake hitting the ground. Oh my gosh. 
Like, That's I didn't incredible. even know snowflakes hitting the ground would emit any radio waves, but apparently Right. <laughs> Getting back to the significance of what they found. So the way he described it is they're the same kind of molecules that you'd get with char on a steak. They form in the char lines of meat, you know, those, those things that they highlight on the commercials for, for steakhouses. You know, it's a, they, they form very readily, essentially, when you have things, when you have fire. So they're associated with combustion. So we saw the, these, these molecules, uh, but where we saw them was in a very cold region uh, where you would not expect to see molecules related to essentially combustion. Detecting them was in a sense the easy part, the hard part, and that's the part that I specialize in, is in answering the question of how did they get there? And how do you get this, you know, how do you get ice to emit smoke, essentially, is the is the, the mystery. Where there's smoke, there's fire, right? Well, not in this case. Uh, and so my job is to answer this seemingly paradoxical uh, question. I'm sure you're probably wondering, what's the point of all this? I mean, why did they look for these molecules? Right, especially where they looked. That's just so interesting to me. <laughs> the scientists were able to figure out that these molecules should exist, but no one had ever seen them before. We've uh, known that they exist in space, and indeed were very uh, prevalent in space for for now decades. Uh, and indeed, uh, the study of pHs generally has been kind of a growing field in astronomy. However, there was a problem. We knew that generally they existed, but we didn't know any specific examples of them that uh, uh, we could point to and say, here is, is a pH that we know exists in space. So the reason this find is actually significant is because these molecules that they found could actually form new stars and planets wow. given millions of years. Really? Yeah, and it's it's kind of crazy to think about the time involved that it would take for a single molecule to form a planet because basically every object in the universe exerts a small gravitational pull on another. But, but it's, it's very weak. I mean, gravity is one of the weakest fundamental forces. But given enough time, you know, one molecule will stick to another, and then another will stick to that, and then another will stick to that. And as it gets bigger and bigger, it gets more and more ability to pull in more molecules. Right. And so basically, molecule by molecule, it will form a, a, basically a giant ball, so it'll form a planet, and then given more and more and more time, it'll form a star and it will get so heavy that it will start fusing in the, in the middle and get super hot and become a star. That is wild. And you're talking like, I mean, how many years here? Oh, millions, possibly <laughs> millions. billions. That is just yeah. wild. So they're seeing just the very beginning. Yeah, possibly the very beginning of new stars and planets. And just to kind of bring, bring it all home in you know, through a Catholic lens, it's just kind of incredible to see the process that God has set up for planets and stars and, you know, our own Earth to be created. Because, I mean, scientists believe that this is probably how our solar system formed. So in our conversation with him, did he ever talk about, I mean, was it ever a challenge for him as a Catholic to participate in this, to you know, be one of the lead scientists in, in this discovery. 
Yeah, that's that's a really good question. And he, he actually pointed out that many of his friends, many of his fellow scientists are Catholic or at least have some kind of religious faith. He, he really kind of tried to dispel the myth that most scientists are atheists. Of course, there is this common misconception that science and faith are somehow uh, antagonistic, so that somehow uh, as a Catholic scientist, I have to be Catholic in one part of my brain and a scientist in another part of my brain. And since I have to keep them segregated, because if they were to meet, you know, who knows, it's, it's science would win out is the, is the assumption that science. Uh, however, it's completely incorrect. Uh, so as Pope St. John Paul II wrote in Ex Corde Ecclesia, work done in a truly scientific manner and in accordance with moral norms is, is absolutely uh, in harmony with the faith. We've sort of been reminded of in the last few years uh, of, of the ethical aspect of, of science. Science needs ethics. Science can't generate its own ethics. And, and people are, are, of course, uh, do try to apply science to all sorts of questions, ethics, theology. You know, Can we prove scientifically the existence of God? Can we, can we find God? Can we find the soul? Can we prove the existence? All these things, which are, in fact, completely outside of what science can do. So I think this gives people the impression that science is this... Uh, is the way to answer all questions, and, and really, that's it's a mistake. He also kind of talked about the the misconception that the church historically has been hostile to science, and and of course that's not true. I mean, we've covered some of the the really interesting Catholic scientists in the past on this very podcast. Like we've talked about the creator of the Big Bang theory was actually a Catholic priest, as was, you know, think about Gregor Mendel, who did so much seminal work on genetics, was also Catholic. Actually, in his interview, he he described the church as the protector of science in some ways, because, you know, the Catholic church is so great at, at keeping knowledge and passing it on to the next generation. And that goes not only for religious truth, but also for scientific truth. I think that the value of astronomy is, A, we're learning, uh, we get to learn more about this universe that we live in, and also it just is, uh, reminds us uh, of a few things. One is, is, the, is uh, how awe-inspiring the universe is, but also as we look out in the universe, we see that the universe is, is rational. The universe, physics uh, works uh, wherever we look in the universe, and so that's, that's a very interesting thing. This is not something that's, that science can explain. I think by studying the universe, we really see the, the beauty, the order, the rationality of the universe, uh, things again which, which make science possible, which aren't explainable by science and point to uh, the creator of the universe. Well, Kate, thank you again so much for joining me to talk about this. Yeah, absolutely. CNA Newsroom is a production of Catholic News Agency and a service of EWTN News. I'm your host, Jonah McKeown. I produce and edit this show with the help of our executive producer, Kate Oliveira. A very special thanks to Kate for her help on this episode. And of course, thank you to Dr. Shingledecker for joining us. If you haven't already, please subscribe to CNA Newsroom on your favorite podcast app. And if you like our show, please leave us a rating and a review. We'll see you on the next episode in two weeks.
Live long and prosper. <laughs> oh, no, I can't end the show that way.